We're back with part two of our discussion about cross-qualification of borrowers with Jarrah Ryan. You're listening to the Compliance Insiders with Roger Fendelman, where you can hear the best and brightest experts in the mortgage industry discuss compliance and technology issues that affect you. It's all you need to know in 10 minutes or less. The list of issues seems to go on and on. You had mentioned as one of those rhetorical questions, what happens in the cases where Lucy comes back and says to Mick, the loan officer, and Rhonda Realtor, I don't think this person's going to qualify. They just don't look like a strong candidate for a mortgage, and so I would probably say they're going to be denied. Like you said, now she's rendered an underwriting decision, and you have lots of issues with disclosures And at least a couple of federal fair lending laws come to mind, right? Couple. You know, we have no notice of action. That file is not in an LOS system on Lucy's end. It's basically just been a review of the documents and her decision. Good question whether or not Lucy's actually an underwriter. And can she make that recommendation? How are you tracking? How are you monitoring? How are you reporting on those decisions? it presents a problem. You know, and I think that it's important when we're talking about this, we not only have compliance challenges and violations on Mick's side by providing that documentation, but also on Lucy's side for receiving that documentation and using it. And to me, our biggest risk is FICRA because Mick just made his company a provider of credit as opposed to their contractual relationship with their provider, which was to be a user of credit. And Lucy is now in a position to be under a FICRA violation for receiving credit information she's not entitled to receive. Right. So depending on how you read and look at it, both of them are at high risk and You know, there are potential criminal penalties under FICRA to be aware of, you know, and we've got GLBA privacy issues going on, potentially UDAP issues going on. I think it's a high risk and I'm sure people are out there still sort of shaking their heads like, wait, what? Why are they doing this? Why would anyone even do this? Right. Why would they do this? And it's interesting, too, because you had quashed one of my theories, which was this was more of a Los Angeles and Orange County, California issue. But you've observed this in at least a dozen states, mostly on the western half of the country. But you've also observed even as far as Indiana, I think you mentioned. And so this is a big problem. One of the things that I struggle with with this issue is the paper trail, because in effect, there is no paper trail. Or is there? Well, there's probably not going to be a paper trail in the actual loan file. I don't know many originators who are using their conversation log to indicate that they just sent the borrower's documents to another lender to review and they were approved and he got under contract. However, they are sending them through email. So let's go back to that scenario, Roger, where you said Lucy has now said to Rhonda, the realtor, that Bob's not qualified. And so Rhonda's probably going to be a good agent and do what she's required to do under law and present all of the contracts submitted. But she doesn't advocate or strongly recommend Bob compared to maybe some of the other buyers. And Bob doesn't get his offer accepted. Enter now Bob's agent let's just call him Steve, the selling agent, he's mad as a hornet. 
So he picks up the phone and he calls the company that Lucy works for to file a complaint on behalf of Bob, who just missed out on another property. And this was really his dream home. This was the one he wanted because Lucy reviewed his income and said he wasn't qualified to go. Yet Bob had been fully pre-approved by Bick the Mortgage Guy, full credit underwriting the whole nine yards. And so now we have a consumer complaint on our hands. That could ultimately be discovered by pulling records and copies of email trails and the conversations that go hand in hand with your due diligence following up on a consumer complaint. So while there may not be a document trail in the loan file itself, all it takes is one question from one party about the process or someone calling in to question or to complain, and we open the doors of discovery, which we all know that's a little like opening Pandora's box, or it can be. Right. And then, of course, what else is there that you're going to find at that point? So this is a big issue. It's been going on for a long time. And it involves a lot of loan officers and a lot of real estate agents and a lot of borrowers and a lot of states. What can we do as an industry to stop this practice? Well, I think the first thing we have to do is, first of all, be aware that it is happening. It does happen. Just based on some of the conversations that I have had with real estate agents and originators in multiple companies or attending conferences and speaking with them. This is a second nature behavior for them. But then when I speak with my compliance colleagues at conferences, they just weren't aware. They're starting to be aware and they're starting to pay more attention. But I would say step one is to be aware. And then the second thing is, and I'm sure many of our colleagues out there do this too, just make sure that you are collaborating with your originators rather than combating them develop relationships with your originators beyond picking up the phone to call them and tell them when they have a disclosure mistake or a potential compliance violation. Because the better you get to know them, the more free they're going to be in asking you for help or sharing with you what it is that they're doing. They are the ones who have boots on the ground. And it's easy, I think, for us to write very idealistic policies about how the world should go but we really need to be aware of how the world's really going for those originators and then try to blend the two together. I think that we can also say it's safe to say, you know, just because you have a policy that says you may never provide a copy of the consumer's credit report to another person doesn't mean that an originator won't do it. So keep your eyes open in that regard and know what your risks are. And, you know, it'd be easy to say, just say, no, you can't do it prohibit it. Well, the problem with a forbid or fire approach is the originator may go to work somewhere else, and that isn't going to ultimately solve the problem. So educate the originators how to do a cross-qualification correctly. At the end of the day, it means the borrower needs to contact the cross-qualifying originator directly, and the borrower needs to provide copies of the documents and information. And if our originator receives a cross-qualification, then they need to make sure that they set it up in their leads folder in their LOS, that they are requesting their own copy of credit for the consumer, not receiving somebody else's copy, and that they are then making that evaluation and having a discussion with that borrower. 
Well, Jared, this is great information and a great how-to to deal with the issue. Bringing it to everybody's attention, I think, is going to be really important, and hopefully we can help to do that here in this podcast. So I want to thank you for being here, and as always, great speaking with you. Are you a Compliance Insider? Then go to CompliancePodcast.com immediately and join our mailing list so you never miss an episode. Got something to say? Request to be on the show. Go to CompliancePodcast.com with your topic ideas. And as always, thank you for listening.